Welcome to episode 218 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this special grand final preview episode of the podcast, we preview the NRL grand final, we discuss the Dally M medal winners, and much, much more. Join us as we build the Rugby League community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 218 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, the grand final of the NRL 2021 is upon us. Did you think you'd make it this far (laughs) during three months of lockdown here in Sydney? We did it. We're on the precipice of an epic grand final, whichever team you support. Tish, are you excited? Are you pumped for the grand final? Dr. T, I am. Yeah, I'm having I can't wait for this grand final. It is going to be spectacular. And uh, yeah, you talk about lockdown. I think at the start of lockdown, we're all thinking things will be back to normal until the grand final. And then we'll have a nice, you know, uh, capacity, 80,000 seat capacity uh grand final here in sydney but no as it's turned out it's all been played in queensland for like the last third of the season with the final series and now it's come down to two sydney teams um not too sure when the last time there was a grand final with two sydney teams it might have been a few years ago considering um you know there's usually melbourne and um you know the raiders were in there in a couple of years and things like that so it's might, might be a while since we've had our uh you know both both sydney teams sort of there but what an absolute, uh, you know, I think these two teams are playing. It's it's the most exciting matchup, in my opinion, of what went through. Just, be, you know, based on, uh, at the, you know, uh, there was a game earlier in the season where one team won by 50 points. Um, then they won the second game. It was a bit closer. But the third game, the other team turned it around. And now we're here on the final game. Plus, we have players retiring on one uh, you know, on one team, you've got a coach retiring on the other team as well, or sort of moving on. So you've you've got uh, oh, it, it is it is an absolute blockbuster. And to be honest, I think it's the heart one of the. I'm finding it really difficult to figure out which team's going to win, but I, I just can't wait. It's going to be a, an absolute spectacular uh, uh, grand final. So I have uh, talked it up too high. Now my <laughs> expectations are. This is like you know, this is like uh, Star Wars episode. Episode nine, right? Like you know the. Uh... I don't think it's anything like that, Tish. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I think. Look, I think you'd be look. Look, I have to say, uh, I don't think you can talk up an NRL grand final enough because very rarely, in my mind, do we get grand finals that are total fizzers. I mean, we always get something. There's always a story. There's always a narrative that brings people, uh, you know, to the game. Uh, brings interest to the game. And look, you'd mentioned something just as a segue to uh, to other grand finals. You were talking about when was the last time we've had an all-Sydney grand final. And you'd have to go all the way back 
to the last time South Sydney won against the Bulldogs, 2014, uh, when they defeated the Bulldogs 30-6. to That was the last time we had an all-Sydney grand final. Wow. And who was one of the referees in the two-referee era? Jared Sutton, who is going to officiate once again on his own, though, uh, in this uh, this week's grand final. So, I don't know. Jared Sutton, uh, the Rabbitohs have a 100% record with him at the helm. Wow. Uh, that's something to think about. Something well, to think about. But 100% yeah. record out of two games, is that, or one game, actually. Is that what you think? Well, so far, out of one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> one okay. out of one. Yeah. One out of one. Uh, well, he wasn't there for the one in 1969, so, or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, look. Look, I got to say, yeah, it's uh, totally pumped about this. I think, um, look, as a as an Eels fan, boy, was I glad that the storm didn't get through. <laughs> you know, we do hold grudges, Eels fan, but no, I mean, I think, mm. I think, in all fairness, I think what we saw during the final series, we we saw a lot of grit and resilience from the Penrith Panthers, and we saw a lot of similar grit defensiveness, but also some real good attacking exciting football from the Rabbitohs and flamboyance from from the mm. well the Rabbitohs and the Panthers to be honest I mean even though there were the the uh, the game against the storm uh, was a low scoring game you definitely saw a lot of you know fearlessness in the way the Panthers threw the ball around they did try their best we just had two epic uh, teams epic defensive lineups there uh, and defensive efforts from the Storm and the Panthers, which led to an epic semi-final, or so. What do we call them now? Grand final qualifiers, um, which are which are absolutely brilliant. But yeah, we'll we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, but yeah I'm absolutely pumped about uh, what's coming up ahead, and there's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk yeah. about the Dally M's today. We're going to talk about a big piece of news coming up. Uh, we'll talk about it very soon. But I, 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 I love it, Doctor T. True grit versus flamboyancy. Peter Gabriel versus John Farnham. This, this is what it's all about. Maybe they should. They, these two should be singing the grand final. It's Barnsley versus Farnsley. I think that's what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really what this is. But look, let's uh, let's launch into the six tackles. We've got a lot to get through. So here we go with tackle number one, the news update. Tish, I did say there was a big, big news update. We did sort of flag this last week, and I did. I was a little bit incredulous, I must say, uh, about the possibility of Billy Slater coaching Queensland. And sure enough, <laughs> the rumours this time were true. Billy Slater has been appointed the Queensland coach next year, um, despite having zero coaching experience. Mm. Tish, uh, take us through the news and what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, look, basically newly appointed coach Billy Slater, um, you know, he's rejected claims that his lack of coaching experience will be a hindrance uh, for his role declaring he's open uh, to help, but will uh, tackle the position in his own way. Um, so basically he takes over for Paul Green after, uh, you know, obviously the 2-1 defeat and Paul Green took over from Wayne Bennett last year who took over from, Kevin Walters the year before. So, um, you know, in this Olympic cycle of coaches, this is the fourth one in four years. So, um, you know, so maybe maybe we might get, uh, I don't know, 
uh, Kevin Rudd back in. Maybe Julia might take over the year after. Maybe a bit of, um, you know, a bit of Malcolm Turnbull, a bit of Scott Tony Morrison, Abbott. Uh, Tony, Abbott. You know, Tony Abbott. Like, you know, it's they've uh, they're, they're basically taken the leaf out of the federal government here. Uh, you know, with their a uh, coaching merry-go-round. But look, Billy Slater, uh, he's 38, um, which is uh, you know quite young for a coach. Um, you know, he just retired. Uh, a, you know. Two, two seasons ago. So this kind of reminds me of, uh, I want to say Nathan Brown, where he kind of coached um, not too far out of um, retirement. And actually, if you think about coaches who have gone, who are former players turned into coaches, um, I think Team Sheens might have started um, like sort of maybe a year or two after his career and maybe Phil Gould as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I think Phil Gould was, was uh, not much of a break between his playing days and his coaching days. So, yeah, but, I mean, that doesn't necessarily happen that often now compared to what it used to. I think, uh, yeah, there are some examples nowadays, but I think it used to happen a lot more, you know, back in, yeah. back in the day. So, yeah, so, so now you think about it in those terms, it's kind of, uh, it, it's it's not really that big of a shock and um you know obviously billy like we don't really know about any sort of coaching he has um i I gotta say i do enjoy his commentary i do enjoy his insight um he's kind of if you think about i mean he's a fullback that um obviously was great attacking weapon but uh he also was a fullback behind some of the greatest defensive uh patterns in history so in terms of being able to know where uh, you know, to, to, to position the field or to position the team defensively in the right position. I mean, that was that's become the job of the fullback. And I think Billy Slater is uh, one of the instrumental fullbacks that are part of that sort of, um, you know, evolution of, of the position. So now, uh, you know, they did actually struggle uh, with the fullbacks because I think they had a few injuries this year and so forth. So actually having somebody who's played at fullback uh, as the coach... Uh, it's interesting because you, you don't really think about fullbacks as turning into coaches. You know, you don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rod Silver or Tim Brasher or any of these players, right, uh, think, you know, uh, actually turning into coaches. They're usually the most fittest person in the team too. So um, it, it's intriguing, I've got to say. Like, you know, you've got two, uh, you know, like Brad Fittler, not, not really an NRL coach. He's got NRL experience, but, you know, I think Origin really suits him. And now you've got Billy Slater sort of part-time both of them on Channel Nine commentary, um, you know. Both of them are probably have some sort of, um, you know, pathways programs that they want to build as well. And uh, yeah, both of them. Not, I mean, I suppose Fittler is a generation, uh, you know, uh, before Billy, but still, you know, quite quite relatively young compared to some of the other options out there. So, um, an interesting appointment by Queensland, and and I think it's going to add a bit of intrigue into next year's Origin, just to see how. Um, Billy the kid is going to go. Billy the coach. <laughs> Look, Tish, I'm going to go one step further. It's going to add. It, it it's going to backfire on them. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> I I think it's going to totally backfire on them because uh, you know we're talking. Look. In the past, when we've had you know discussions about the likes of I guess Meninga and others with limited NRL level coaching experience, even that has been a uh, a bit of a hindrance or a bit of a, a barrier to uh, 
to someone's coaching success at this level. Not not always. I mean, there's the example of you know Fatty Vorden's kind of miracle of '95 and 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 a bunch of other kind of examples like that, one-off examples. But I think I think look, the fact that Queensland's had more co- Origin coaches than. Italy has had prime ministers in the last five years is saying something. <laughs> uh, definitely saying something. But look, I think it may backfire on them. And the reason yeah. is I don't think uh, – look, it's not just the coaching, lack of coaching experience. It's also, you know, the look, this is someone who has not been a captain in for his team, as far as I'm aware. Uh, you know, because I guess he was there at the time that Cam Smith was there and Cooper Cronk, etc. Um, so he doesn't really have captaincy experience. Uh, and yes, as you said, he's he was a fullback in one of the the greatest kind of defensive oriented teams of our era of this era. Um, I don't know if that's enough to sort of suggest that he knows. Um, how to coach a team at this level or how to motivate the Queenslanders at this level. Potentially, he's just coming in as a, you know, it's not about tactics at this level. It's just about motivation. Maybe that's the angle that they're taking, in which case you don't need experience. You just need a figurehead who can get up there and sort of, you know, uh, motivate them. But has that worked for us in the past? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't mm. worked at all. We're, you know, expecting to go in and thinking it's only three games and these are already top-class professionals. Uh, no, that's not the way it works. You still need coaches that are able to bring some tactics together. I mean, you've seen that with Freddie, uh, Brad Fittler. Yeah. Um, he's been able to do that because he's had some level of coaching experience uh, and success, uh, you know, at NRL level as well. And, uh, and and I guess I guess that's the thing that um, having zero experience is quite different to having zero at this level experience. Um, mm. So I just sort of I'm very hesitant of of this uh, th- that this move will work for Queensland. Um, I think it makes an assumption that you don't really need someone to have uh, tactics at this level. Uh, and and I'm not sure whether Billy Slater. Look, he may surprise us all, so I, I, I don't want to, um, you know, shoot him down before he's had a chance to prove himself. But I think I think there could have been plenty of other options that they could have gone for, um, other than him. Um, and the other thing that worries me is it's both the coaches are Channel Nine <laughs> commentators. Yeah, is, is this is this becoming the Channel Nine state of origin? Uh, as opposed to the the actual state of origin, I mean, it's a bit weird. Yeah, um, the way that Billy got this pathway opened up for him, uh, but you know, who knows? He may surprise me. He may bring in a new uh, new skills, new capabilities into this Queensland team. Uh, you know, who knows? Their kicking game might improve. Uh, Billy obviously <laughs> knew a little bit about kicking. Um, yeah, you know, who knows? Uh, but yeah, look, that's my final word on that. Tish, uh, shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Billy until the start of you next year. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, there'll be plenty of time. Plenty of time. Uh, all right. So the next bit of news uh, is around COVID and uh, what has uh, what has the NRL got to do with COVID this week? <laughs> well, well, um, not really the NRL. The NRL are being type lit, but that hasn't stopped West Tigers chairman Lee Hadjipentelius 
you know, just because there hasn't been enough heat on the West Tigers uh, at the moment, right? But he has <laughs> warned um, fellow NRL clubs uh, that everybody might be forced to terminate contracts of players who opt out of getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, the NRL is yet to reveal any stance on mandatory vaccinations. Uh, but regardless of whether what, whatever um, you know the NRL's uh, stance would be, uh, the rule of each state or country may impact the player's ability to travel interstate without a COVID-19 jab. Hadja Pentelis, whose legal firm sponsors the Sydney Kings, so I think it's Brighton Boys. They might even also um, sponsor uh, New South Wales um, as well. But look, uh, they've had an incident with a couple of NBL players, um, I think one from the Breakers and one from the Illawarra Hawks, who obviously refused to get vaccinations. And as, ro- as a result, they can't travel uh, to interstate, nor can they travel to New Zealand to play games. And, um, you know, they're their uh, contracts have been terminated. Um, so, you know, Hadja Patel said, look, it is a concern and it's a challenge that will face all employers. Um, so I know we're sort of focused on the NRL here, but it is something that will affect um, not just, uh, not just you know, professional sport, but but even people, you know, travelling in a state for work, uh, you know, these fly-in, fly-out, you know, mining companies perhaps, um, you know, those type of arrangements might be very difficult and, um, you know, with, all the rules and all the, I suppose, everything that's up in the air when it comes to mandatory vaccinations. So, you know, in your opinion, Dr. T, what should the NRL stance be on vaccinations? Wow, that's a good one. I mean, look, that's a, that's a difficult one because I think this is a mm. broader societal question Issue. about, yeah, and I don't I don't think we've quite landed on, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that think, um you know, it's we we should all get it, and there should be vaccine passports. And if you don't get vaccinated, if you choose not to, then you shouldn't be entitled to various uh, access, various services. Uh, you know, it's gotten to the extreme where the discussion has even moved towards people saying that you shouldn't even be. Uh, you know, I'm not not sure if this is in Australia, but certainly overseas, I've heard this argument that. You know, if you choose to not be vaccinated, then then you shouldn't even be entitled to get uh, medical care <laughs> if you're if you're sick or if you go to hospital and and, and that kind of thing. Which is a, a look, it's a total uh, it's a total uh, travesty if if that's uh, the way we're landing. Obviously, to think that that doctors who take the Hippocratic oath uh, would deny someone, um, you know, treatment. Mm just because they've chosen to not take this vaccine or, or, or the, any number of the vaccines that are available um, is is a bit of an issue. And then we move to this situation here where we've got, you know, it's not just about accessing cafes and restaurants and things like that. And it is about, you know, if if your job is to play a game, play a sport, and you paid lots of money, big money to do it, um, does that mean that you should just shut up because you get paid lots of money and should just sort of go with the flow? I mean, we've seen already with the NRL that they've the, the teams have relocated, you know, I don't know, in some cases families have relocated temporarily mm. to interstate in order to allow these players to continue just for our entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and 
it's uh, you know New Zealand warriors have have been basically stranded in another country with their families and young ones and whatever in another country. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. So to think that that this could end up being something that breaks players apart from the game that they love and they want to play is just ridiculous. I can see the other side as well, uh, where where people are thinking, well, if if not everyone is vaccinated, then how can you play safely and how can you know that, um, you know, uh, look, and so there's that argument as well. Uh, so it's it's a tough one. I'm not really answering your question, Dr. Yeah. Uh, Tish, but it's a, it's a difficult one because uh, it is – it just goes beyond, you know, the NRL is an entity that is paying its players. It also goes to the, the yeah. heart of a free society and, and what we're willing to cop um, in terms of, you know, people making decisions. The reality is, though, I think with rugby league players especially, maybe the situation was different for basketball players, but the reality is I think for rugby league players that, uh, you know, the amount of, I'm not going to say the amount of times they get injected with pain-killing drugs and all sorts of things that they don't really know what they're taking. Uh, I I really doubt that there'll be anyone that, in practicality, that will say no. I refuse to take the vaccine. Not when, not when they're already doing all sorts of things to keep their body at 100. percent And you know, but again, the argument is also with some some arguments I've heard that. Those uh, generally, those who are very healthy, like these athletes, don't need to take a vaccine. They probably, uh, you know, it's they're not the most vulnerable in society. Put it that way. So it's not that much of an issue for them uh, to be able to handle the disease if it comes to them. So mm. look, I don't know. Look, this is I think this is a totally open debate at the moment. But it's good that the Tigers chairman has uh, raised this because I think. It's something that we do need to think about. The NRL needs to think about very carefully. If it takes a hardline stance, it uh, it may alienate some of its fans. It may uh, it may alienate some of its uh, players. And then what do we do? Uh, you know. So, but then again, if they don't take a hardline stance, that could also uh, kind of um, cause other other ripple effects. So. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Sorry, I didn't answer your question, but I think it's a it's a very yeah. difficult one. It's it's good that the debate has been started, and it's interesting that there's already been uh, this kind of uh, precedent set with the uh, the basketball, the NBL um, over here. So yeah. yeah, very very interesting. What are your thoughts on this uh, this very difficult situation? Well, mandatory vaccination is is only one step more than what uh, the NRL uh, mandatory, well, has mandatory anyway. What I mean by that is that if you think about it, um, you know, it is a medical procedure. You know, it's a needle going into your body, right? So, you know, and it is your body, right? You have the rights to your own body, right? So, so you are, it, it is evasive in that way. But um, as a professional athlete, um it is mandatory for you to be drug tested, um, which is which is sort of not as well. It's not invasive at all, but it's a it's a different type <laughs> of medical procedure, right? Um, to be drug tested, um, but that is mandatory. So um, otherwise, that's how we catch out the cheats. And um, 
as a professional athlete, you also get certain things that you're allowed to do with what, what that other pl- uh, other people in the general society are not. Um, I mean, we've got those exemptions during the COVID time where they're allowed to travel into Queensland where other people have not been. Uh, mm. But what but what I was more talking about is like, I can't head high somebody in the office, right? I don't get sent down for 10 minutes. I probably get fired, <laughs> right? As in what you do for a living is not something that uh, a, a person does for a living, you know? Um, it's not normal, yeah. It's it's not normal. And then so, you uh, you know, as an NRL player, as a registered NRL player or, NRL, well, you know, and even in junior grades, you have for 80 minutes, you're basically allowed to assault people, Um as a part of your job, right? So you already get a special exemption. So I, I don't think I don't think um, oh we want to be treated like everybody else. Well, you're kind of not being treated by everybody else at the moment. You, you actually have, um, you know, you, you do actually have certain rights that the general public doesn't have just because you're an NRL player. So I don't think that's really an argument. But yeah, so so what I do think is that if you if the NRL cannot do mandatory vaccinations. They must do mandatory COVID testing, um, and it will need to be a very regular um, sort of mandatory testing, which probably, you know, once the, you know, once the, uh, you know, New South Wales Health stop or Queensland Health stop doing their own testing, the NRL will probably have to foot the bill of doing all those tests uh, every single week, and um, that's going to be quite expensive. And as soon as you find out that there is a player that's been uh, infected, and you have to shut down the competition, the loss of revenue um, might be enough for the NRL to say, no vaccination, I'm sorry, you cannot play. You know, yeah. I, it might just come down to the commercials of, or, you know, the risk the risk assessment, you know. Um, you know, how does businesses get measured? They get measured by revenue minus expenses divided by the risk to do all that. So uh, if that equation is not... Um, you know, if the risk is too high and, uh, you know, there's going to be a loss of revenue and if it's going to cost more for them to do mandatory COVID testing as opposed to just getting everybody vaccinated once and not worrying about it, um, it it's pretty simple that I think the NRL will have to go down that path. And plus they have an, they have a, they have a, uh, they have a, um, a precedent with the NBA, NBL and what could happen. Um, so I think for the sake of probably, all parties involved. I think mandatory vaccination is probably what they're going to be forced to do. Um, and yeah, I look. There is. I, I do understand there is a human argument to it, and a, and a human rights ar- argument to it. Um, but again, you, you know, you 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 are getting special exemptions as an NRL player, and in return, you do have to, I suppose, do things outside of what normal society uh, has, you know, rules. So you know, so that. You know, I suppose the rule. Uh, you know, you have special exemptions, but at the same time, you have uh, strict rules in place. And I think, I think the NRL has kind of been talking that language anyway ever since COVID happened. You know, we we are going to have more stricter protocols than what the general public have, so that yeah. we get a right to do things that the general public doesn't have a right to do. So I think because they're already down that path, I kind of feel like the mandatory vaccination is just coming. Um, yeah. But they probably. Uh, I don't think they want to really make a big noise about it, if I could say that. I think they just kind of just want to make it happen. And then, um, you know, like uh, if, if if somebody objects, they kind of then start start talking about it. I, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be like that. So, yeah. 
You're talking too much common sense there, Tish. Yep. I think you're right. We've got to be talking pre- about the grand final, so we probably should move on, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I think I was just saying that I think it's it is common sense. I think you're right. That, that that's probably where the if you're reading the tea leaves right, I think that's that's what's going to happen. They'll, they'll they'll just sort of sneak it under the radar and then hope that no one really causes a fuss about <laughs> it. Uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen. But look. I think you're right. Let's move on to our – well, actually, before we get into the grand final preview, we need to talk about the those epic grand final qualifiers that we just witnessed. And uh, let's get into it. Tackle number two, the grand final qualifiers wrap. All right. So the Rabbitohs versus the Manly Warringah Seagulls. This, this is the first game played on – the Friday evening um, at uh, at eight o'clock Suncorp. and at Suncorp Stadium. So all the games uh, have been played at Suncorp Stadium, and uh, we'll talk about the final, the grand final as well at Suncorp Stadium, which is a huge deal. Um, and look, Rabbitohs winning this one, thirty-six to sixteen. Uh, it was a uh, well attended twenty-six thousand or so fans. It ended up being seven tries to three. It was a look. It was a demolition. It was uh, it was twenty two nil at halftime, and mm. and it it certainly um, you know it ended up being uh, what was it sixteen uh, fourteen or something in the second half, if uh, my maths is correct. And and look, you know the Rabbitohs just completely dominated this game it was a really if you're a Rabbitohs fan you certainly would have loved what you what you saw because it was clinical it was uh their defense was outstanding um I think going into halftime at 22 nil you would have thought and you would have been right if you thought that the Rabbitohs might uh ease their foot off the pedal a little bit in the second half I think it's natural to do that and that's certainly what they did, and and really, you know, apart from a a try uh, in the forty third minute uh, to Ruben Garrick for the Seagulls, I think, uh, you know, that really didn't really stem the tide because uh, then the 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 Rabbitohs put on another two tries after that, but then there were a couple of lapses in judgment uh, in defence uh, towards the end there that allowed two very late consolation tries to the Seagulls, um, uh, including, uh, I think it was a record-breaking try for Tom, Tommy Trebojevic, who uh, I think he, he got, the with that try, got the most um, the most tries, I think, by a Seagulls player or something like that uh, uh, in a season. So um, at least I think that's what I saw. So, look, the Seagulls, I think the 36-16 was a scoreline, I think, that flattered the Seagulls. I think the Rabbitohs completely dominated um, Manly. And, and look, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, they're, they're just bringing their A game, I think, in terms of defence. I think it was all down to their defence. Um, you would have expected a side like Manly, who has put on tons of points on lots of teams this year, um, to to be a bit more competitive and look, like I said, apart from that, that lapse in a few lapses in judgment towards the end there uh, with those two consolation tries, I think it's fair to say that the Rabbitohs defensive performance was far, far above uh, meeting uh, uh, far above what the Seagulls threw at them in, in attack. So I think overall, um, 
yeah, we've we've got uh, in terms of some of the uh, the I guess the stats uh, we had. Well, it was a possession game, fifty-seven percent Rabbitohs possession, and I think they didn't really let up. They they just had. Um, it was a total look domination in terms of runs, run meters. They were five hundred yards, uh, five hundred meters ahead of them, um, and uh, kick return meters way ahead of them. It was just pretty much any um, you know any stat that you look at offloads eleven versus five. The the Rabbitohs just dominated, and like I said, barring those two last consolation last minute or. 10 minutes or so consolation tries, uh, the Seagulls really weren't in it at all. Um, I guess the question is, is this the kind of prep you want for <laughs> before a grand final? Um, it wasn't much of a hit out, I guess, for the Rabbitohs uh, in the end. Uh, but uh, And the other thing is, towards the end there, I actually, when the game was kind of all but over, I would have expected Wayne Bennett to take off Adam Reynolds and basically put him in cod mool a little bit and, and a few of the other players ahead of the grand final, but he didn't do that. He let them stay on for quite a while. So a um, bit, bit of a confusion there, but uh, in my mind, I, th- I would have thought he would have protected his players a bit more, but wasn't to be, but um, look, Tish, what were your thoughts on this game? It was a, uh, it was a huge one, wasn't it? For the Rabbitohs. Yeah, look, I think, um, well, look, well done to the Rabbitohs getting into the grand final. Um, you know, they were clearly the better team on this game. Um, I thought for the most part, I want to say up until probably the first uh, try by the, by the, um, by the uh, Campbell Graham's try in the 50th minute to, to uh, the Rabbitohs where, um, you know, because the first try after the halftime was by Ruben Garrick, which made it, uh, you know, 20, 22 points to six after the kick. And then when Campbell Graham came, uh, I think scored that try, uh, and then Taft did the conversion twenty eight six. Then I think the game was then over. Like I think any any comeback would have like it. You know, it wasn't really on. The reason why I said that because in the first half, Manly's attack did seem to trouble uh, the Rabbitohs a bit, but their scrambled uh, was was good. What was really letting Manly down though was just the amount of errors. Um, you know, there was like, you know, if you sort of go through the first 10 minutes uh, of the game, you just realise like every error is is on Manly, you know. Um, right, yeah, even even penalties all, all going towards uh, the Manly team. And then for a side as, um, as attack-orientated as what the Rabbitohs are, um, you know, Cody Walker and, um, you know, Adam Reynolds for the entire game, you know, that they, they showed their attacking prowess. And, and I think that really went, um, you know, obviously scoring 36 points. So, yeah, look, in terms of their attack getting a hit out with a real quality defense, they probably missed out on that, to be fair, um, because I don't think Manly's defense was really up to scratch. Um, and I think also because of the errors. Um, obviously, I think Manly, it was like their grand final in a way. It was like, um, you know, they made it to this game for having a great season and, They've had an unbelievable season. I don't think anybody expected them to make it into the top four, but they did. Um, so this was kind of their swan song, and and I think the Rabbitohs showed why well, they're they're pretty serious. And um, yeah, Adam Reynolds he did uh, have an injury going into the game, and um, that's why he wasn't goal kicking. And that's why I think Cody Walker was kicking 
in general play for, mo- for, for most of the game. Um, so hopefully yeah. he's completely right. And, you know, there's, there's a big storyline with him. You know, now after 10 seasons, he's now playing his final game for the Rabbitohs uh, in a grand final. Um, and he's going to be playing it at the home ground of where he's going to be next year. Um, so uh, there you go. In a record-breaking season, I think. I, I, I don't think I think he's scored more points than any Rabbitohs player in history this year, right? So yeah, um, you know what a fairy tale. And then you know, uh, you know, uh, this is uh, Wayne Bennett's tenth grand final, I think, something like that. And he's won nine of them, right? So or yeah, I could be wrong with that, but. You know, it's it's something like that, which is a pretty phenomenal record. And Benji Marshall, um, he won an NRL Grand Final as a teenager in 2005, and now this is only his second Grand Final, and this could be his last game too. So um, mm. there is a there is a lot to play for for the Rabbitohs um, when you think yeah, about let, it. Like, let's get into that, that in, in, yeah, in, in the a bit like, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But um, I, I just wanted, sorry, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Oh. No, no, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. No, I just wanted to I just want to say about uh, just a question before we move on to the next game. Uh, you know, the, much has been said about the 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 attack from the Seagulls, and I think I just sort of wonder what your thoughts are on this. My thoughts are that I I think when when met with a strong kind of scrambling defense, I think the Seagulls' attack was kind of found out a little bit. I didn't. I'm not sure what aces they had up their sleeves because I think a lot has been said about Tommy Turbo, which we'll talk about him later as well. But I think he, I don't think he plays the role of generating uh, kind of uh, gaps. He's, he's kind of plays the, as we said last time, the Terry Lamb kind of role of being there in support, being always there at the right place at the right time, not necessarily being the instigator of the attack. I think that's what was lacking with the Seagulls. But when you look at the Rabbitohs, don't forget, without Latrell Mitchell as well, they had so much strike power. They had, uh, you know, Cody Walker was doing a lot uh, and and sort of um, they've got Reynolds, they've got Cody Walker, they've got Damien Cook. They got Blake Taft now, who's who's done well. You've got Alex Johnston, who's there, uh, you know, doing what he needs to do up the middle. You've got um, some some absolutely amazing players there as well. Um, like you know, if you look at sort of Damien Cook, Cameron Murray was causing a lot of havoc there. Tom Burgess from the bench as well. Um, you've got so much strike power in the in the forwards and in the backs, and and. You know, I, I think that's uh, I think that's what we saw from we saw unfortunately that the the manly attack didn't really uh, challenge the Rabbitohs' defence, and I think that's probably where they need to pick up next year is work on a bit more cohesion in attack. I think uh, they need to probably they need that X factor there that they don't really have apart from Tommy Turbo. Um, you know, I wonder whether they could have used Dylan Walker a little bit more. I mean, he he was once the five eighth there before Foran returned. So I just sort mm. of wonder whether whether uh, Desi Hasler, you know, came into this with a, a too much of a defensive mindset uh, rather than you know we need to challenge this South Sydney defence because uh, again possibly 
possibly this is where Wayne, the genius of Wayne Bennett, flying under the radar. Let's not forget the reason why the Rabbitohs were here at all was because they produced a mammoth defensive effort against the best defensive team in the comp, the Penrith Panthers. And and I think people are forgetting that the Rabbitohs are not just about um, their their attack, but they have a very strong defense. So I think that's uh, that's my view. But do you, what do you think about that before we move on about the? Uh, uh, Manly didn't really meet the challenge of uh, this Rabbitohs defence. Well, look, in the first half, there was a disallowed try. Uh, Tommy Travoy did go over, but then there was three Rabbitohs plays in uh, the tackle, and before he could get the ball down, um, they were able to sort of, um, you know, sort of uh, get him to drop the ball, put their hands all over it sort of thing. So that, that showed the defence, and I think Brad Fittler said something like that in commentary where, you know, you really win these games, not necessarily from the tries you sco- score, but more from the tries you stop. And that was definitely one key part of that, uh, you know, where they went to the video referee and then it was, uh, you know, considered a no try. They also had another no try that happened just a little bit after that before, uh, or maybe it was a little bit before that, where I think it was an obstruction call. Um, that uh, you know that, that that went against them as well. So that also went a, a bit. Um, so I think those two. Uh, oh yeah. So so they did have opportunities in this game to score. So I don't think. So I think I think their attack is. Yeah, you are right. They probably need another uh, a, another dimension beyond Tommy and the halves. Uh, whether they need a ball playing uh, front rower or something off the bench. That gives them a bit of spark. They just need something a bit extra than what they have. Uh, but I think their defense is kind of where the real issue is. Like, I feel like uh, you shouldn't be letting a 36 points against you in a, in a, in a you know, one game away from the semi uh, to the grand final clearly shows that there isn't, um, there isn't the same score of scrambling, um, you know, that you're doing. <laughs> On your end to get to get there, and you got to remember, uh, week one, Melbourne also uh, put, I believe, more than thirty points on them. It might have been uh, more than forty points. So that's yeah. twice in the one final series you've gone uh, beyond forty. So I kind of feel like defense is kind of the issue, which is a bit interesting because Des Hasler is kind of known for like being the rugged, you know, the rugged character here a little bit. So. Um, a bit surprising that he's like turned into uh, the Harlem Globetrotters, uh, you know, approach to 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 the NRL. Absolutely. All right, let's leave that game there and move on to probably one of the most epic semi-finals mm. games that you'll ever see: the Storm versus the Panthers. It was a Saturday afternoon game. Uh, it was afternoon because, as we mentioned last week, we moved our time to accommodate the AFL grand final. And yeah. we did say in our tips that that this could possibly work against the Storm, who, uh, you know, maybe are not used to playing in the warm weather during the daytime. They're more a nighttime kind of team. And I have no idea if that at all played into this, but um, it ended up being uh, that the Panthers won this one 10 points to six. Uh, they It was two tries to one. Both of the Panthers' tries were scored two minutes uh, into the first and second halves, and the the uh, the Storm scored in the 62nd minute to Pappenheisen. A bit of an unlikely try, and I want to. The reason why I mention that is I want to bring in the fact that you know the the Panthers 
the ingredients for success for the Panthers against the much uh, favoured storm, record-breaking storm this year in terms of the four and, biggest for and against in history um, and biggest uh, four uh, points for in history uh, for a minor premiership winning team. And and you did you – know, let's not forget, this was team one and team two, in, and the only thing that separated them was, uh, was really the for and against. Uh, so – Despite that, I think the Storm, you would have expected to be favourites in this game, and I think all the bookies certainly thought that. But I think in the end of the day, it was the Panthers' defence that won them this game. Uh, you know, they, it was uh, – obviously, they, they had a good defensive effort against the Rabbitohs the week before as well. Um, but, sorry, not the week before that. But um, – but yeah, I think at the end of the day, the Panthers were just too strong defensively. They really, honestly, again, I'm saying the same thing that I said about the Manly Seagulls. I don't think the Storm, uh, apart from a an absolute uh, sitter of a try that was bombed by, uh, was it George Jennings, I think, with the, the line wide open, um, they weren't really troubled that much. I think, uh, you know, the try that Pappenheisen ended up scoring was an absolute, uh, you know, a bit of an unlikely try. Kikau had made a bit of a mistake in uh, sort of turning his back when he should have just stood his ground and caught the ball that was uh, kicked by Munster, I believe, from dummy half. And uh, had he not done that, then Pappenheisen wouldn't have had a chance. So, um, you know, whereas the Panthers actually look like they – threatened the Me- the Melbourne try line a little bit more. Uh, only a little bit, though. <laughs> this was not a flogging at all. Uh, and certainly the the uh, the result wasn't really, uh, you know, was in doubt until the very end. It was that close of a game, and it was just an epic defensive performance, I think, from both teams. Uh, I did sort of think, watching it, and I believe the commentators said this as well, watching it on the TV, that... This felt like a, a, a state of origin type game. Uh, I think we we also said that the week before with the Eels and the Panthers. It, this was very very similar. So I think the Panthers going into the grand final would be very wary of their bumps and bruises, uh, given that they've had two state of origin level games in a row uh, to make it to this grand final. They've certainly shown their resilience, and they deserved fully deserved to win. I believe that uh, you know there was some very very strange. Uh, sort of refereeing decisions as well around um, around uh, the the HIAs. Uh, there was uh, the same thing that happened the week before with the Panthers uh, getting fined for um, <laughs> the inappropriate use of the interchange and, and stopping play when they had the ball against the Eels. The same thing happened, but in reverse. Mm. And, and this time it was a uh, Christian Welch, uh, I think, uh, had a bit of a head knock, and they stopped play uh, to to assess, which is their right to do, I think. Uh, but what was very confusing was that uh, I, I don't think the protocols were being followed around that. I thought he was supposed to immediately go off to be assessed, but instead they sort of left him on the field. It was a bit weird. Mm. So I think the NRL has to really tidy up their processes around who makes a determination 
uh, you know, about play being stopped, especially when it comes to kind of head knocks and things like that. There was discussion later on. People were saying online that, you know, the Panthers were cheating again, that, that you know, Nathan Cleary had a head knock and uh, and he wasn't assessed, uh, which, which wasn't true at all because I think he actually bumped his neck, not his head. <laughs> so I think from what I saw anyway, so I think that, that was kind of um, – uh, but yeah, Jerome Luai had to go off for a bit with a HIA assessment, and then came back on and was instrumental in their, um, well, in in Brian Toto's try in the second half. So there was a lot of controversy, as you usually expect from these games. But look, overall, uh, I, I, it was a very very exciting match, in my mind origin level uh type match is exactly the kind of match you'd expect uh you know at this time of the season uh so tish uh what are your thoughts on uh on on the game how did it feel do you think the panthers deserved it uh over to you well um firstly uh i know you're really the ratings man uh when it comes to here but uh, according to media week uh this game despite being up against the AFL grand final that was later on that day, which obviously clearly won the ratings being the grand final and all. Um, this game on Channel 9 actually had 810,000 viewers um, and then a further 320,000 on Fox League um, being the highest show on uh, Foxtel uh, last Saturday. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. over a million uh, yeah, viewers watching this particular game, uh, which is, uh, you know, which is, yeah, which kind of shows that uh, everybody knew that this was going to be a, a really close game. Look, I think for mine, I think the Panthers looked like a team who um, went to the grand final the year before, lost it, and have uh, never been happy since. Um, and they really wanted to right that wrong. And I think uh, Melbourne looked like a team that had won the grand final the previous year, <laughs> right? But didn't really understand why uh, and just 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 didn't have it. Um, they kind of, I don't know, like, you know, uh, I feel like their attack didn't really, uh, even though they're like a, a super good attacking team, I kind of feel like they, they didn't know what to do. Um, you know, it, it's like, it's like the Panthers wall. They just, they just, um, you know, they, they did try things and everything, but it wasn't really structured. You really couldn't go, all right, this is, uh, this is what they're trying to achieve. They were, um, you know, I think the way to beat Melbourne, and I think Panthers obviously did it, I think you've just got to get a lead on them. Um, and you get a lead on them, and then all of a sudden they just they, they can't handle chasing. Um, and they were chasing the entire game, and you saw drop balls. You saw, um, you know, you saw sort of, uncre- okay, you know, uncre- you know that the, they just basically weren't themselves, you know. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, maybe they, they also looked like there was a times where you could kind of see that they looked, absolutely out on their feet um you know so i don't know if the rest if that had to do with the rest of what that had to do with um and they were playing a lot more shallow um the one thing they did which was absolutely awesome brandon smith who they did lose to concussion in the first half so maybe he would have made a difference if they played but he kicked the very first 2040 in the nrl um so well done to brandon smith so uh Kicking the twenty forty, that was kind of amazing, and Dylan Edwards didn't even realise what was going on. But uh, you know, but <laughs> it's very rare, isn't it? That's probably why he's like, "What? What's going on?" Yeah, exactly, because yeah. it's it's never been done before. And and to uh, the thing about that though is that the twenty forty means that obviously you're kicking 
at the end of your tackle set within your own 20-meter zone. So that kind of showed you how much the Panthers were dominating the defensive side of the game against the Melbourne. And that's really what, um, you know, it was the best defensive versus the best attack. And, um, you know, Melbourne, oh, sorry, uh, the Panthers completely uh, were able to shut shut out uh, the Storm. And it's interesting. I don't think, uh, I think Parramatta only put, scored six points as well. So both the Storm and, uh, both the Storm and the, Parramatta only, you know, only one try in both games has the Panthers, um, you know, conceded, and against the Rabbitohs it was three tries. So, um, still, like, you know, in the final series, their their defense uh, has been rock solid, and you know, you've got a very good attacking team coming up a very good defensive team. So, yeah, I, th- I think we should talk about the grand final. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of getting itching to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's draw a line under that there. Well done, and farewell to the Seagulls and the Storm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Storm uh, will be talking in the news next week about... Disappointing for the Storm, and I think Panthers, I think Seagulls are happy. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go into tackle number three, the grand final preview. Here we go. So, the Penrith Panthers and the South Sydney Rabbitohs will battle it out this Sunday, the 3rd of October at 6.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time at Suncorp Stadium, the first ever NRL Grand Final to be played in, in Brisbane. And won't it be a cracker? Two epic defensive teams. Uh, def- you know, throughout the final series, these teams have, have just been involved in <laughs> pretty much every epic game is involved either one of these two teams. So, uh, you know, just on performances alone in, in the last three weeks, this is just going to be an absolutely epic grand final. Um you know, it, there's uh, obviously the Penrith Panthers uh, haven't won since uh, 2003. They'd be looking and, uh, you know, obviously having, uh, as you said, Tish, having tasted defeat in the grand final last year, they'd be super motivated to overcome that. And they've been uh, men on a mission this year because they have upped mm. their game. They have become the, the best defensive team in the competition uh, in terms of lowest uh, points conceded. And they have just, uh, you know, the likes of Cleary, To'o, Luai have just completely uh, gone to the next level in their performances, obviously uh, starring in the New South Wales Blues State of Origin win this year is a bit of another feather in their cap. But, um, you know, throughout the year, the Penrith Panthers, again, uh, they've been so good defensively, equal in points at the end of the season to the Storm, but for the for and against, um, which uh, which gave the minor premiership to the Storm. You know, we would be talking about this team as as the minor premiers very, very easily. Let's not forget, not far behind them was South Sydney Rabbitohs, uh, the third-place team at the end of the regular season. Uh, you know, so much going for them as well. Quite a bit more experience, uh, not so much at grand final level, given that the Panthers lost last year, but they've got some a good mix of older heads, in that team, uh, as well as as obviously the, the the youthfulness and the skills and the attacking prowess, as well as the defensive uh, kind of uh, performances that they've put in 
uh, in the last few weeks as well, which has been absolutely amazing. Let's not forget South Sydney defeated Penrith in the first week. So Penrith also motivated for revenge here to uh, to defeat them when it counts in the grand final. Um, and the other factor in play here is the Wayne Bennett factor. Uh, mm. We've got obviously... Ivan Cleary uh, having tasted defeat for, I think, a second time in as a coach of a grand final team. The first time was uh, when he was, I think, coaching was it when he was coaching the Warriors, I believe, yeah, potentially, Warriors. Uh, against Manly about 10 years ago. And so here is, again, his chance for uh, to avenge that loss uh, and to finally get that win. Whereas Wayne Bennett is going for an epic... Uh, record, probably one that will never be never be beaten if he can get it this Sunday, which is he will be the first coach in history at this level of rugby league to have won, if he wins this Sunday with uh, South Sydney, to have won, uh, so only the first coach, let me say that again, the first coach to have won premierships with three different teams. Uh, obviously, uh, he's won with the Broncos. He won with uh, the Dragons in 2010. And uh, it's been quite a while since uh, since Wayne Bennett has been in a grand final. But here he is again, uh, potentially his last game, well, will be his last game for, as a coach of the Rabbitohs. Um, you've also got the Benji Marshall factor there. Benji obviously having tasted success early in his career with the West Tigers in 2005. And what is likely to be, I believe his last game, I don't know if it's confirmed this, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if South Sydney win that he will announce a snap retirement. Uh, it's pretty hard to top that with a career of, of, that Benji Marshall has had. To finish it off uh, as a winner would be absolutely epic for him. And also Adam Reynolds, uh, his last game with the Rabbitohs before heading up to Brisbane, so many stories dish <laughs> in this in this uh, uh, grand final. But look, I've deliberately just talked about the high level things rather than going into the teams. But Tish, let me just let's keep it at the high level for now. Um, what what to you uh, are some of the other kind of overall stories that are that are you know what's the narrative here? Panthers versus Rabbitohs. Um, before we dive into the teams and, and what what we think the game's going to look like, uh, you know, have I missed something? Is there any any other story to tell here? Well, well, I think one story is the Cleary versus uh, Wayne sort of situation a little bit in terms of a few weeks ago there was that whole drama around um, you know coaches calling um, the NRL uh, you know and complaining about how the game should be refereed um, and how. Apparently, Ivan Cleary does that all the time, and Wayne Bennett hardly ever does it. And you know, he's not against uh, play uh, coaches having to do it, but you know, he realizes that they don't listen to me, so I don't do it anyway. And then so for Ivan to accuse me of doing it, blah blah blah. And then Ivan was like, you know, hey, look, you know, whatever, whatever Wayne, you know, Wayne could do Wayne, whatever. Like so, that so there's a bit of a bit of a a bit of a situation between the two players, uh, two coaches. Uh, Ivan Cleary, uh, people are, are talking, um, you know, they've got, they've got those two way, two words associated with Brian, uh, where, well, they've got the Brian Smith thing happening now with Ivan Cleary, right? Making multiple grand finals, but not being able to win the big one. So I think there's a bit of pressure there. And look, I think this club has been motivated to win the grand final ever since they lost last year. And um, in many ways, I feel like the Panthers 
as much as they've got such a young lineup and they've got so many um you know stars that are you know sort of some of them are becoming stars already but you know stars of the future too and they seem to have a bit of a production line um they do have um you know naden i think is leaving burton is leaving um and I think they've got a one or two, uh, you know, there's, there's rumours that perhaps Kikau they won't be able to keep, um, you know, if they're going to keep on playing these players. So so that, they are, uh, I think every year they're going to lose a few players to other clubs um, just based on what their success has been like. And as a result, um, it could be that their, I suppose, championship window is closing. So, you know, are they going to be as strong this year as what they are next year? Um, and if not, they're going to have to put everything into this team. Over on the Rabbitohs, I think the Rabbitohs, it is a definite changing in the guard. Um, you know, they're losing their halfback next year. Um, they're losing their coach for next year. Um, so, you know, a hot, there, there are some other players that I think they are, they are going to be losing. Benji could be retiring. So, therefore, as a result, what you're going to get, I, mean, I think Gagai is also leaving too. Um, what you're going to get with the Rabbitohs is that you could definitely say that they're opportunity to win grand final um this is the year for them like i don't think uh i don't think 2022 even if they lose this game and they're fired up and motivated to to sort of avenge their loss from last year kind of the situation the panthers are in i don't think they'll actually have the lineup to do it for next year just because of all the player personnel and it takes time for a new halfback um, they're not getting experienced halfbacks. It's not a Cooper Cronk situation. Um, you know, it's more like, you know, we have to, it's a Luke Brooks situation. We have to build the next player, right? <laughs> Which hasn't really worked for the Tigers, but it could work. I mean, Nathan Cleary is kind of that product as well, right? Over at the Panther side. So, so look, I think, um, I think for, I think both teams, it's a golden opportunity, this grand final, Um Particularly since Melbourne are out of it, like I think, I think both teams kind of were dreading having to play Melbourne in the grand final, um, just because Melbourne had played so many grand finals over the last few years and have that experience. Now, either team, you know, the Panthers have the experience from last year, um, but the Rabbitohs have more, I suppose, game experience under their belt and more, probably more big match experience with all the different origins that they've all played in. Uh, plus, they do have some players from 2014. Obviously, Reynolds was there. I'm not too sure if Walker was there or not. But, um, but Cook, I think, was there as well. So they do have a few players that, you know, have the remnants of what happened with them a few years ago. So, yeah, I think that's why it's an absolute blockbuster. Um, you know, when the Panthers had won, um, you know, one person very close to me, she does go for the Panthers. And, um, you know, she didn't know about the other result. And she was so excited that they made it to the grand final. And then she asked me, who do they play? And I said, they play the Rabbitohs. And the first thing she went is, oh, no, not the Rabbitohs. Because, you know, just just Walker and Reynolds and Gagai and, you know, obviously Luttrell is out. And what a disappointment, by the way, that Luttrell's not playing this game. But, yeah. you know, Marshall, you start, and Cook as well. I mean, it is it is a phenomenal attack, right? Um but they're going up against a team that is super high in defense. That's why I think it's a, yeah, it's an absolute absolute blockbuster. So, um, yeah, and just look, just before speaking of lineups, I mean, you uh, before we go into the lineup, uh, I did look it up, and uh, three players from the Rabbitohs were were there when they won in twenty fourteen. Do you want to guess who they are? Okay, Reynolds. 
Correct. I want to say Johnson. Correct. And uh, maybe not Walker. Maybe Cook. No. Uh, Murray. No. Burgess. Tom Tom Burgess was on the interchange bench in 2014 in that Mm. grand final. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this sort of – Look, three of their big, you know, they've tasted success and they know what it's like. They've they've reached Mount Everest in Rabbitohs land and uh, hopefully they're going to take them there again if you're a Rabbitohs fan. But look, very interesting. Yeah, so let's, let's move on to the teams because there's some big news in the teams that may impact on our tips and where, where we think the game's going to go. So... Uh, firstly, the Panthers, uh, we've got Dylan Edwards at fullback, Stephen Crichton uh, and Brian Toll on the wings, Paul Momorowski, Matt Burton in the centres, Jerome Luai at 5'8", Nathan Cleary, a captain at halfback. And in the forwards, we've got Isaiah Yo at lock, Kurt Capel and Vilam Kikau on the, in, in the second row. In the props, we've got Moses Leota and James Fisher-Harris. And Apisai Coruscant is the hooker. And on the bench, we're going to have Tyrone May, Scott Sorensen, Spencer Lenu, and Liam Martin um, with reserves. So, again, I guess the, the, the teams will be uh, finalised shortly, but the reserves are going to be Brent Naden, Mitch Kenny, Jermaine Hopgood, and Charlie Staines. And the big news for the Panthers is that Tavita Pangai Jr. is out. Uh, and obviously that is huge news because he was one of the reasons why they <laughs> – he was one of the few players uh, I've seen in the last few weeks for the Panthers that actually had uh, had the defences, uh, you know, thinking twice. He was the one that would often start the second phase play with a bit of a sneaky offload here and there. Uh, and he, I think, is going to be a huge loss for the Panthers, so it remains to be seen what they can do to cover for him. But – the Rabbitohs, on the other hand, we've got Blake, Blake Tuff at fullback. We've got Alex Johnson and Jackson Paulo on the wings. Dane Gagai and Campbell Graham in the centres. Cody Walker at 5'8". Adam Reynolds, captain at halfback. And in the forwards, we've got Cameron Murray at lock. Jaden Sewer and uh, Keon Kaloa Matangi at uh, in the second row. And in the props, we've got Mark Nichols, Tavita Tatola, and Damien Cook as the hooker on the interchange bench. Again, I contend this is one of the strongest benches you can ever hope for. Benji mm. Marshall, Jacob Host, Tom Burgess, and Jai Arrow. And then uh, reserves, if they need to go to these guys, Tarn Milne, Patrick Margot, Braden Burns, and Jed Cartwright. Uh, no major changes, I think, to their lineup. And obviously the, the person they're really missing uh, is Latrell Mitchell, who adds that that kind of X factor that they they otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, and I guess it's fair to say that what we've seen the last few games is that Blake Taff, youngster, um, you know, new to this squad, has certainly uh, had a bit of a baptism of fire, um, and he certainly met the challenges, even even though he's had a few. Um, kind of uh, challenges, you know, an initial drop ball there in, in that game in the first round, uh, first week of the finals. But, look, despite that, I mean, what we saw, for instance, in, in one of one of their tries, uh, in fact, one of Alex Johnson's tries, I believe, uh, on uh, in the last game against Manly was a really smart operator. He, he delivered an absolutely epic cutout pass 
<laughs> to Alex Johnson that completely bamboozled the Manly defence. I think Blake Taft brings, you know, for all the losses that they've got with uh, with Latrell Mitchell not being there, Blake Taft seems to have plugged some of that uh, that leaking of of talent. And I think he is a very good asset. And I think Wayne Bennett has certainly brought him on uh, very well. But look, it all comes down to the uh, those eighty minutes on Sunday, and I guess I want to throw to you, Tish, if you were, you know, what what are, what are we going to expect to see from uh, the Panthers and the Rabbitohs? Uh, are we going to expect to see anything different from what we've seen? Are there any tactical kind of uh, weak points uh, in the opposition that you would uh, go for if you're a Panthers or Rabbitohs coach? Mm, okay, so. For the Rabbitohs, yeah, look, you, you brought up Blake Taff, that's T-A-A-F, Taff, uh, E, sorry, there's an E there too. But anyway, but look, um, but but yeah, look, he's been great. Like, um, I know he's he had like a drop ball against one of uh, uh, Nathan Cleary's bombs the other day. So that was, that was fantastic. Um, so I think, I think, uh, so I think that is obviously, you know, the kicking game is going to be very crucial. I wouldn't kick it so much down Johnson and Paulo's. Well, I think both of them uh, – actually, maybe Paulo is a bit inexperienced and he's gone up against Stahl, so that would be there. And, um, you know, the the you know Crichton is, is quite tall. Um, so, yeah, so putting him on a situation with like a, a Blake Taft might have, might have some really good rewards for the Panthers. They've been scoring a lot of tries off their kicks lately, so I think that's kind of where where um, the Panthers could sort of target. Um, and apart from that, I think obviously like uh, linking up. I think obviously when uh, you know Panthers play well when 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 Cleary and um, Luai are sort of uh, double you know double backing around and sort of supporting each other on the inside and so forth and. I think if their if their spine uh, works together well, I think the Panthers will show a lot in in uh, in 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 attack. For the Rabbitohs, um, I think, and uh, we'll probably talk about him a bit more in the Dallium's actually. But um, I did see Jerome Law, uh, so Jerome Hughes for the um, Melbourne Storm get around kick out kick out in attack uh, a couple of times. So um, kick out uh, sort of defending against opposition halfbacks that are sort of very, um, you know, sort of fast and a bit more, you know, sort of able to play around him. It's kind of a bit difficult. So I'm wondering if Cook, Walker and Reynolds are going to exploit maybe the defensive lapses of some of the Panthers' weapons like kick out when they're in defense. Uh, because I think there's an opportunity there, and I think obviously they're, you know, they've got their preferred side, the the Gagai side with Johnson. Um, the more they go to that side, I feel like um, they're really quite unstoppable. Sometimes uh, there's really no way to defend. You've just got so many options going down that way. Um, you know, whether Walker sort of takes it himself, whether he offloads it to Gagai, whether he cuts out Gagai, throws it onto Johnson. Um, you know, whether they get tough to come in and, you know, run around all of them. Um, Reynolds plays that side. It feels like they've got, um, you know, 10 to 15 different plays they could put on all on that side. And then if it doesn't work, then you bring on Benji, who just goes down that same side and does the same same set of manoeuvres. And then you even have the situation where I think they showed against Manly 
where if if there's no dividends on that side, then they have uh, Benji playing the Cody Walker role, but on the other side of the field with mm. Graham and Paulo, right? So, um, yeah, so I, th- I think the Rabbitohs, uh, that's the thing about their attack. They kind of can uh, adapt to situations. Um, and I think that's that's going to be crucial. On the other hand, I feel like the Panthers, this one's a great game. Their defense can handle anything. <laughs> so you got yeah. like a you got a defense that could that could adapt to any situation. You got an attack that could adapt to any situation. So who knows? Maybe this might be the 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 you know uh, four points to two uh, you know uh, Bulldogs versus Parramatta again. You know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> they cancel each other out type thing. So yeah, it's going to be very interesting. That's why I really can't pick. But I think obviously the kicking game of both teams are going to be important. If Adam Reynolds cannot kick, then you're going to give that advantage to the Panthers with Nathan Cleary's kicking game. Um, but I feel like the ball movement around the Rabbitohs is going to be better than the Panthers. Um, but the defense of the Panthers is clearly better than the Rabbitohs. And uh, the other interesting thing about this is uh, we've never had this situation before, but um, daylight saving is that day. So it is a 6.30 start in Suncorp, but a seven thirty New South Wales time. So um, just you know, d- don't 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 watch it seven thirty in Queensland because <laughs> you would have missed the first sixty minutes. So uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so just bear that in mind. But it, but it's going to be um, you know we never played a grand final in Brisbane. Brisbane has traditionally got a warmer climate than what Sydney has. So I wonder what the temperature is going to be like because um, a humid nighttime grand final. Uh, you know, that, that's another factor that might sort of stop. Then you've got to give it to the Panthers, who have got a younger team than the Rabbitohs, um, just just based on sort of, you know, youth, youthfulness. So, Fitness, I think. Fitness, you're trying to yeah. think that they're, they're fitter. Yeah, possibly. I mean, don't, let's not forget that that's probably offset by the fact that they've had two epic... Uh, kind yeah. of uh, close, close game three really. If you count the one against the Rabbitohs as well, I mean three epic semi-final kind of performances that they've had to endure uh, leading up to this, and they're probably battered and bruised a little bit from that Melbourne game. So that's the other thing to think about. But yeah, yep. So so um, it's going to be around about twenty-eight degrees around kickoff time. Well, yeah. <laughs> Again, is that going to favour either either the Panthers or, or the Rabbitohs? I mean, look, I, th- I think it's fair to say that these Sydney teams, they've played enough in uh, in Queensland now, <laughs> and the, and I think they can play in all, all weather, really. I'm not sure if weather's going to play a factor here. Okay. But, Based on yeah. facial hair, I feel <laughs> that the Rabbit, uh, Panthers have an advantage. They have more clean-shaven players. <laughs> then the Rabbitohs, I think Reynolds and Mark Nichols, but who knows? Uh, maybe Gillette might sponsor them for this game. Uh, and you could be right. And but the jersey is darker, so that also attracts heat even more. That's true. That's true. And then you also got to uh, <laughs> plays with headgear. And I know Burton plays with headgear, so you've got yeah. So from the headgear uh, analysis, um, it looks like Rabbitohs have an advantage. Yeah, they have one one less sweaty center. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> sweaty headed center. Look, uh, obviously, look, we are absolutely combing the depths of the barrel to try and, and find what 
advantage either team could have. Uh, look, ultimately, I think it, it rests with it's it's about who puts it on, uh, mm. who's most motivated on the day. Um, you know, it, you were talking about defense, and and really both teams have I think put on epic defensive performances of late. Uh, I think the Rabbitohs. The thing with the Rabbitohs is they've gone a little bit under the radar. Um, you know, obviously they haven't having had that first up win against the Panthers, who were the best defensive team at the time, and having out defended them in in quite frankly in that game one of the series of the final series. Um, you know, however, this is different. This is a grand final. <laughs> it's all on the line. This is where everything comes into play, and I think. This is where experience is also important because I think what you tend to find is it's easy to motivate yourself in your if you're in a grand final. What ends up happening is that some players get too starstruck, they get too caught up in the occasion. This is where experience comes in, and and again, this is a it's a struck match between them because we've seen the the experience that the the Penrith Panthers youngsters have had this year in the Blues outfit has really uh, sort of. Uh, shown us that they're, they're capable of handling big match experience when it counts. Equally on the Rabbitoh side, you've got the old heads of Reynolds and Johnson and Benji Marshall and mm. Coach Wayne Bennett, who Wayne Bennett, having been here so many times before, I think he knows what it's like to manage a group of men uh, who who are there for one reason only during grand final. Uh, he's undefeated in grand finals. <laughs> Let's not forget that, uh, you know. And so that's that's there's there's a good reason for that. He is an absolutely brilliant coach. Uh, knows how to manage players of all different. You know, we're not talking a star-studded Rabbitohs lineup here compared to what he had under the Brisbane Broncos in the nineties. Uh, this is a totally different. You know, he's adapted his coaching style. He's, I think he's getting the most out of this Rabbitohs team. I wouldn't have expected us talking about the Rabbitohs as a defensive powerhouse even midway through this season because they weren't showing it. They weren't. They were showing that they were just not really an, as impenetrable a fortress as the Panthers' defensive line has been. And just on that as well, let's not forget the last game, we, we spoke about the Storm game. The only way they got over that try line was through a kick and a bit of a, a lapse in Kikau's read of the of the of the the bounce of the ball, really, and and other than that, Melbourne had no answers for the Panthers' defence. And so I think the difference here is that the Rabbitohs have shown time and again, uh, and they showed this against the Panthers as well in in Week One of the finals that they do have those answers. Um, unfortunately, they don't have as many answers that they would have had if they had Latrell Mitchell with them. <laughs> so that I think that's a big loss. Um, but I think what they've shown is that they can uh, they can they can score tries by kicking the ball. They can score tries by doing high kicks, low kicks. Um, but they also are equally great up through the middle with those quick running running uh, you know the running of Damien Cook and others as well. And Cody Walker obviously on the left edge as you're talking about. So um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to be said here. Look, there is. I think this is going to be a close match, not necessarily high scoring, but I think it will be. Uh, it won't. It will definitely be above four <laughs> two. Put it that way, um, and I'm looking forward to it because I think it will be. It will be great for either of these teams to win. Uh, it's going to mean so much for Rabbitohs fans, and, and obviously the Wayne Bennett story is going to be a big motivating factor. And for the Panthers, 
the redemption from last year as well is going to be epic. And they obviously have not been uh, a winning team for, you know, 18 years or so, 17 years or so. So um, that's... uh, that's also an, a really great story as well. That uh, either way, it's a win-win. Uh, two Sydney teams in the first ever Brisbane Grand Final. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. But that's the that's the way the cookie crumbles. Mm. And uh, look, I know we're going to do the tips later, but look, how, actually, how about we? Yeah, how about we just hold on to our tips? I'll let yes. you think about it, mull it over, and we'll move on to the next tackle. And we'll reveal our tips at the end. So here we go. We're going to move to tackle number four. We're going to talk about the grand final week in Brisbane. Here we go. All right, Tish. Grand final week to light up Brisbane. What's the story there? Yeah, well, look, uh, obviously the first ever grand final in Brisbane, so it's going to be a little bit different this year um, because of the venue. So look, um, so look, um, the NRL are going to have the fan fest again this year. It's going to be on Thursday and Friday. Um, you know, starting off at 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Thursday, and then Friday from 10 a.m. to 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 8 p.m. So the NRL partners are delivering, you know, food, face painting, uh, all the usual stuff when it comes to a festival. There's going to be a mini petrol station from Ampol where I think you get your photos done, like a photo booth. There's a uh, UE Insurance Pass the Ball, a Harvey Norman outdoor competition, uh, you know, um, a DoorDash lounge, uh, you know, a Telstra huddle, uh, you know, so, you know, a precinct bar, you know, some things happening from KFC, Chemist Warehouse Chill Out Zone and things like that. So um, some really good stuff, obviously interacting with sponsors. Um, they are also going to have merchandise sales and, uh, you know, giveaways. Um, obviously, there'll be NRL um, passable competitions, but uh, hopefully a lot of NRL uh, stars. I know it's uh, COVID era, maybe not, not probably as many stars as last year, but hopefully there's fan interaction as well where, you know, where fans can meet players throughout these couple of days. And then the big day on Sunday, the grand final, the gates are going to open at 12 p.m., and then at 12.15, there is an Intrust Super Cup grand final. No, preliminary final. That's right. So in Queensland, obviously the, <laughs> the, the main event is not the main event. Um, and then so there's going to be two of them both played before the game. So one starting at 12.15, the second one at tw- uh, at 2.45. Um, one of the fixtures is Wynn and Manly versus uh, the Tweed Seagulls. And then you also have the North Devils versus the Belly Bears. Uh, then we have the retiring players farewell, which is supposed to uh, kick off at 4:30. At 5:30, the NRL pre-game entertainment, which I'm not too sure who that is, but uh, you know I'll find out. And then the big one starting at 6:30 Brisbane time, but 7:30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, Panthers versus Rabbitohs for the grand final. So get your thoughts on all of that fun stuff. Are you? Disappointed you're missing out on the Suncorp Grand Final, Dr. T. Oh, look, Tish, I have to say it is disappointing any time we, we miss out on, on all the events surrounding Grand Final because the, the Grand Final is not just about the day. It's not just about the game. It is also about 
the the atmosphere, everything leading up to it. It's uh you know especially I do I do enjoy and I think I've spoken about this in the past the the NRL fan fest and uh you know opportunities for for fans to go and uh, meet some of the NRL stars even those not competing in the grand finals uh in in the various grand final games uh there's I just really I really do think that the NRL needs to sort of uh keep focusing on this as a, as a thing it wasn't this was not a thing you know a decade or so ago um it's something that's been built up over time and i think the nrl realizes that uh you know there's an opportunity to make this a festival of rugby league leading up to the nrl grand final mm. and i think that's a it's a good thing when they do that uh obviously i'm glad that uh that the um uh the the brisbane uh suncorp stadium you know widely renowned as one of the best rugby league stadiums in the world uh is finally getting to host this decider um i'm hoping and we'll talk about this another time i guess that this will be the start of a a new era of uh of uh, the nrl taking grand finals to other cities rather than just keeping it in sydney i think this is a again and and in order to do that right you need to take the festival of rugby league with you and you need to have a good plan for how you do that so that when you go to another you know one day perth will probably host a grand final they they need to you know you need to build up to the grand final you need to have all these events and nrl fan fest or whatever um it's important to do that so i think uh i look forward to seeing that but i did have a look and i think we've got the pre-match and halftime entertainment is going to be headlined by Kate Miller-Heidke, Ian Moss, the Stafford Brothers, Timmy Trumpet, William Barton, and a 40-piece Queensland orchestra. So wow. there you go. You know, we didn't we didn't quite get a uh, you know Barnsey, but Ian Moss from Cold Chisel is there, and I think he will uh, uh, he'll do a bit of Tucker's Daughter and and one of his <laughs> one of his classics. Uh, an epic, you know, this is a, it's it's going to be a typical Brisbane style grand final entertainment, which is what I'm absolutely looking for. It's a bit of rock and roll. That's what we mm. need. That's what we need. In fact, uh, having a look at it carefully, I think. I think Kate Miller Heidke is probably going to be singing the national anthem. In fact, so wow, uh, you know that's that's a little bit more detailed than I, I just realised. Looking there, but um, yeah, look, it's going to be epic. But uh, yeah, look, shall we move on to the next well, bit, which is yeah? Sorry, go ahead. Before well, breaking news uh, from six hours ago, but <laughs> um, Queensland has uh, for this week only renamed its King George Tower. Or King George Square to King Wally Square. So there you okay. go, Wally <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, look, uh, they've they've. Uh, I think our our legal team at the Rugby League Republic need to sue the NRL because that looks very much like our logo, but back there. Um, <laughs> oh no! I'll have a look at that. I'll Google it later. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, but um, yeah, it looks like, and I think they've had like a. Like the Cowboys, yeah, they must have lit it up for the Cowboys one time. Yeah, so it looks like every every day they're sort of lighting up to another. They've got a Panthers light up one day, and then yeah, I think one day it was King Wally Square. So yeah, so that's pretty awesome, and they've got a Rabbitohs one as well. So uh, I think every day they're lighting up the tower, tower a little bit differently, which is pretty exciting. And um, yeah, there, there go. we go. Awesome. All right, well, let's move on to tackle number five. We're going to talk about the Dalian Player of the Year awards. Here we go. 
let's start with the big one first. Obviously, last week we were told about the top five finalists. And as I predicted, Tish, the Dalian medal winner for 2021 is Tommy Trebojevic from the Manly Warringa Seagulls. Well done, Tommy. Uh, had a, an epic season this year. And at the end, he was uh, uh, the winner. Uh, uh, and so, look, let's move on to the other awards. Uh, there's quite a few awards and, and probably a little bit to talk about. So let's just sort of run through them. Um, the Proven Summons Medal for I think it's for the best kind of um, is it best and fairest or, or kind of a what what exactly is the Proven Summons Medal award for again? I think it's for um, barring maybe. No, I don't think so. I think it's for well. Let, let's we can come back to that later. But it it was. Let, let me look it up. Let me Google. We're googling live. It's uh, what's it presented for? doesn't actually say uh look i I think it's for um uh like i think i think it's for like um sort of like uh sportsmanship sportsmanship yeah and it's i think it's voted on by referees potentially as well but it's kind of like a spirit of the game award that's as far as i can understand but but it was awarded this year to josh morris for his heartwarming moment of brotherly love when his brother Brett was injured and Josh comforted him and helped him get off the field. Uh, look, one of the epic moments, I think, of this year, uh, you know, well-deserved. I think if you if that's what this medal is, uh, is aiming to achieve and highlight, I think Josh Morris definitely deserves it. Um, I do have to say, though, uh, he gets an award for doing something that any brother would do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my point um, there. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure look about that. It's kind of controversial, right? It's not really uh, – you know, it's it's a brother looking out for another brother. Like, you know, uh, you know what I want to see is, like, uh, you know, injuring a player and then trying to apologise and being stopped, like Latrell Mitchell – Maybe he's the deserved winner of the Proven Summons medal. I mean, he tried. He did try, like, you know, so... Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. it's certainly not going to be called the Cam Smith Award, put it that way. But, yeah. Uh, that's another, that's <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's but right. look, yeah, look, that being said, let's move on. The Rookie of the Year, Sam Walker from the Roosters. Uh, I think well-deserved. I think this makes sense. He, he certainly had, uh, of all the rookies this year, had a major, major impact mm. on the Roosters, uh, you know. Uh Captain of the Year, James Tedesco. Uh, mm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure how you get that <laughs> when you've got yeah. the likes of Nathan Cleary, who also featured quite heavily in the the proper awards in terms of points. So I'm a bit confused about that. So anyway, all we've said is basically three Roosters have won awards so far. <laughs> Coach of the Year, Craig yeah. Bellamy. I'd have to agree with that, Tish. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think so too. I think they've scored more points or had the biggest point differential in NRL history. So, um, so well done. And uh, yeah, well course, done. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, like Craig Bellamy, like you know, he's they had uh, you know almost broke the Roosters see uh, you know uh, seventy five. Well, I think they did uh, match it right the seventy five. Uh, you know, most get most wins in it consecutively, uh, but not playing. <laughs> not playing in the grand final. So they did everything this year apart from win the grand final. And Craig Bellamy, um, you know, looks like he's never won a game ever, like the way he reacts to situations out there. But um, but well done. I think he's, he's, the, he's the goal stand when it comes to coaches, definitely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think well-deserved this year. Uh, top try scorer of the year it's, is the Ken Irvine medal, and this year it went to Alex Johnson with yeah. 27 tries. It seems like he's, he's regularly at the top of these yeah. lists. So we'll, you know, I think, Do they need another, to rename it to the Alex Johnson medal? <laughs> possibly one day they'll have to because he seems to just be always featuring up there. Uh, top point scorer of the year, a bit of a surprise, Ruben Garrick with 304 points. So, again, this has a lot to do with Manly just uh, absolutely ripping teams to shreds on a number of occasions, uh, especially late towards the end of the year there. Uh, the VB Hard-Earned Player of the Year award, Isaiah Papali'i, uh, again, I think well deserved this award. Uh, you know, and he also features in in one of the team positional awards as well. Well deserved, Isaiah from the Eels. The Peter Fralingos Memorial Award for Headline Moment of the Year was the Melbourne Storm winning 19 matches in a row. I think that was. Uh, I think that's fair enough considering the epic sort of uh, performances that they put on this year. Mm. Well deserved. I think it was a toss up between that and um, Jimmy Roberts. Uh, using a towel on a balcony. Uh, well, yeah, well, that certainly got the news. <laughs> that certainly uh, got the probably the, the the Donald Trump fake news award of the <laughs> yeah. of the year. It's probably a new one they're going to put in. The uh, this it's called Therabody Young Gun of the Year goes to Nico Hines from the Storm. Uh, I don't know why that would be different to a rookie of the year, but anyway, mm. drink wise, we've, we've talked about this already. Drink wise, try of the year was Tommy yep. Travojevic, uh, for a try against the the Cowboys in round twenty five. Uh, I think that was an epic try, if I remember that correctly. That was a brilliant one, individual brilliance there. Uh, and the UE tackle of the year was uh, Xavier Coates on Dane Gagai, uh, in round fifteen, uh, where the Broncos played the Rabbitohs. So let's move on to our Team of the year, which uh, now we can announce it because now that they went through all the points for all the games, obviously best fullback of the year, Tommy Trevojevic, who also was the winner of the, the uh, Dalian medal. Best wingers were Ruben Garrick and Brian Toto, which uh, I would have to say, I, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I think, uh, in fact, let me let me just, please interrupt me, Tish, if, uh, if you wanted to sort of question any of these, but I think a lot of these... Uh, totally makes sense when we go through it. You'll, you'll hear best centers of the year were Justin Olam and Matt Burton. Uh, I think that's fair enough considering that they've been fairly, uh, I think it's fair to say they've been fairly consistent in in uh, in the Storm and the Panthers this year and unsung heroes, I would say, which is often what happens with centers. They're the unsung heroes, not necessarily the flashiest. Um Best five-eighth of the year was Cody Walker. Again, well-deserved, I think. Uh, I'm surprised Jerome Luai isn't up there, but I think given so many other Panthers players uh, would have collected points, uh, it's not a surprise that Cody has been integral to the Rabbitohs uh, team wins this year. Best halfback of the year, Nathan Cleary. Not surprising at all. I think he was uh, almost almost in attention for the, the big award. Best lock of the year, Isaiah Yo from the Panthers as well. Um, very, very well deserved, I would think. I mean, I think uh, he... He actually played a blinder on the weekend against the Storm as well. He uh, did what he needed to do, made some very strong runs and and some important breaks as well, and was solid in defence. Best second rowers, uh, Vilaim Kikau and Isaiah Papali'i. Tish, Kikau and Papali'i, what do you think? Um, Papali'i, very well deserved. Kikau, 
has had a good season, but I feel like he's been less damaging this year than previous years. So I was a little surprised about that one, if 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 I'll be fair. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I think there are maybe go for the rest of because there are some contentions I do have with. Um, I'm not going to say all the list, but maybe. Okay, well, let me finish it off. Let me finish it off and then I'll let you have a go. So best props were James Fisher-Harris from the Panthers, Payne Haas from the Broncos, and the best hooker was Brandon Smith. Mm. Uh, which ones do you think uh, you, you would have chosen? You know, again, don't forget, this is uh, based on the points that they've received throughout the year. So, you know, it, it's one thing to look back over the year and say, oh, I think this player has had a better year, but but again, that player maybe didn't collect as many points and uh, wasn't as consistent over a longer period. Uh, and don't forget, that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. But it's interesting to sort of look back. I think most of the the, the team positions that were were given there, I think reflects how well these players played throughout the year. But do you have any thoughts on other contentious ones? Yeah, look, I think. Um... I'm just thinking about the wingers, okay? Ruben Garrick, yeah, I get it. Top, top point scorer, Brian Toll, uh, good run meters. But then, you know, you've got to feel for Alex Johnson, who last two years have scored more tries than anybody else, like both years. So back-to-back Kevin uh, Irvine, medal winner. Um, now he's playing in the grand final, um, has played for Australia, but never has played for New South Wales. And, uh, you know, has won this award multiple times, but just keeps getting missed out on this winger of the year, right? And uh, but and 2021 had a phenomenal season, you know, had, you know, multiple times where he scored hat-tricks, but then what does all those points go to Cody, Cody Walker? I mean, somebody has to score the try, right? So um, it's not like they just, um, you know, pass him the ball with an open line all the time. He does have to do a lot of work a lot of time. So I'm a little... I feel a little bit for, for players like that who seem to uh, have really good stats year in, year out, but then for whatever reason miss out a little bit. Um, Justin Ollum, I do think he's the best center of the year. I think Matt Burden, yeah, I think he's a deserved winner of that award too. So I really couldn't say much about uh, those two players. Um, that you know, um, But I could think somebody like a Dang Gagai has had a very solid season this year too. So... Maybe that might be it. Obviously, Cody Walker and Nathan Cleary, I don't think there are too many, um, you know, contentious ones there. Lock of the year, Isaiah Yo, yeah, he's had a great season. Um, I really can't think of too many other there. Yeah, and then I was just going to bring up uh, Kick Al uh, as well because I just, you know, the second roller, it was kind of weird. Like, I remember in the 90s, you know, the Gary Larsons, the Steve Menzies, it was like a, a work rate position. Um where you'd be doing, you know, 40 to 50 tackles, but it's, it's really changed. It's turned more into a tack, more of an attacking type person, like, you know, so, um, and, and Kikau and Papali definitely fit the bill. Um, I'm just, yeah, like, although I thought Kikau maybe not had his best season, I was, I was trying to think of other plays you could put in there. And to be honest, there isn't really that many other contenders I can think of who've had stellar seasons in the second row position. Um, now the big overall theme about this whole lineup is um, the lack of Queensland representation. Um, I don't see a single player from the New South from the Queensland squad in this uh, in the Daly M winners. Right, um, there are the New Zealand internationals or the New South Wales players. So that's and Ruben Garrick. Ruben Garrick isn't from Queensland. Well, he was not, not sure. picked for Queensland this year, was he? 
Oh, you mean, yeah, Queensland uh, representing. Yeah, you make a point there that, yeah, there wasn't, we, we didn't see the monsters of the world there, even though the, the Melbourne storm, uh, you know. Look, it, obviously, uh, yes, I don't know what's going on there. And and this is the first year we're playing the Queensland Grand Final, so there you go. Mm, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it, it, it is interesting how all that has lined up. Um, so, so I just wonder about the Delhi in terms of the awards. I mean, this year it's gone to a player that is in the playing in the finals, but you know, in, in other seasons you've seen like players, uh, who are kind of like the one man team, <laughs> right? Win yeah, the award yeah. versus like, uh, players who are playing in good lineups. Um, like, did we even have anybody from Melbourne in the top five for the Delhi I don't think we did because the no, points get didn't. shared evenly. So, I just think in a modern game where it's become more of a team-oriented game, whether this is the best approach to, to figuring out who the best players are. I know the RLPA awards are, are coming in, which is you've got players um, sort of picking who their best is, um, which is another way of, of doing it, and, and I think we'll have a different result with those ones. Um, but, yeah, there probably needs to be a, a real think about how do we... Um, I think the 3-2-1 and one system for every game... I don't know if that's necessarily the best way in the modern era to figure out the best player of the year. And to be honest, it's also best and fairest, right? So, uh, you know, so, yeah. So how much does fairness come into it? Do you get what I mean? Like, uh, probably not. Mm. No, that's fair enough. Look, that's that's it for the Dalliem Awards this year. Um, And I think we move on to the, the final epic Epic thing that we need to talk about, which is our tips for the grand finals. Uh, grand finals. Uh, let, well, let's say grand final day tips because <laughs> uh, we, we've got more than just an NRL yeah. grand final, but that's the main one. Um, here we go with tackle number six, the tips. Let's lead up to the final one, but let's go with the uh, the Intrust Super Cup or qualifying finals. Winner Manly Seagulls versus Tweedhead Seagulls. Who's your tip, Tish? Well, after the Demons had won the AFL Grand, grand Final, I'm going to tip the Devils. <laughs> no, I think it's the Seagulls versus the Seagulls, mate. <laughs> oh, Tweed. Are they both Seagulls? Is that really? Yeah, the Seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> seagulls versus the Seagulls. Okay. Winner Manly Seagulls versus Tweedhead Seagulls. So all we know is that there will be a Seagulls represented in the grand final. Well, uh, uh, to be fair, I think in the New South Wales, I think there are two magpies. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> anyway, so, all right, go give so, us your tips. So, so I'm going to go for Winner Manly. Me too. Yeah, with with uh, Tom Trebojevic and uh, Deli Cherry Evans uh, lighting it up. Mm. You think North Devils versus Burley Bears? I'm going for the Bears. Yeah, look, I'm I'm going to tip the Devils. Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, sixty-six to six. Oh, <laughs> oh god! <laughs> yeah. or, or at least six nil. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. With sixty-six percent possession. <laughs> possession, yeah. Uh, 
the big one, Panthers versus Rabbitohs. We've given our in-depth discussion about all the various motivating factors and and uh, the fact that this is the end of an era for the Rabbitohs. Uh, you know, the teams of the band's about to be broken up. It's going to be the last dance for the Rabbitohs uh, of this era with uh, the players of the likes of Marshall, etc., and Wayne Bennett as coach versus the Panthers with their motivation to uh, revenge for last year's uh, uh, loss in the grand final. When all is said and done, Tish, who are you tipping? Well, Dr. T, in every NRL fan's life, there comes a time where you've got to pick between the team for the person that you love the most in the world versus the team that your favourite player is playing for. <laughs> right. So I'm going to have to go with my loved one. I'm going to have to tip the Panthers. I'm sorry, Benji. I've let you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, poor old Benji. He's uh, he's going to hear this and really be motivated. <laughs> yeah. And Benji, you go for it, mate, because I am tipping your Rabbitohs. I am tipping a fairy tale ending to uh, – look, out of all the things that we said, the thing that matters most – is that if anyone knows how to make a fairy tale last minute win happen at the end of a game or at the end of a career, it is Benji Marshall. He has so many times done this. He has epic, uh, you know, the, the 2008, I think the Tri Nations final. Mm. He, uh, he he concocted that last minute win. For I think New Wayne Bennett was coach as well, right? He was he was assistant coach then, I think you're right, and I think uh, I think was it Steve Carney was the the coach who was now mm. assistant coach at Melbourne. Uh, so there you go, it's a, it goes around in circles. But look, uh, I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. I think uh, Wayne the the class and and tactical brilliance of Wayne Bennett, I think will uh, motivate, he will motivate his men, but he will also do it in a very structured way. I think he will, uh, he will find a way to get through this impenetrable Panthers defense. I think it'll be an epic game, but I'm tipping the Rabbitohs to taste success, uh, you know, cementing themselves as one of the, 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 the biggest clubs in the game uh, in Australia uh, having just won in 2014 after a massive uh, decades-long absence at the top. I think they'll do it again, and I think Wayne Bennett will enter history as uh, the greatest coach after winning uh, for uh, a third team, uh, winning a championship with a third team. Uh, unbelievable. Either way, it's going to be great for either Panthers or Rabbitohs fans. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be you know, one of these grand finals that I think we'll talk about for years to come. I, I really do believe that. Uh, hope you all get to enjoy it as well. <laughs> I think that that's it for our epic grand final preview, Tish. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about next week when we review the grand final. It's going to be an epic game, uh, I'm sure of it. Tish, let's wind this down and get ready for uh, all the grand final itself. Over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. Tan. I'd like to thank everybody for listening for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. <laughs>